Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello. Today, we get to hear from the mum behind my favourite eco-aware children's shop in Dubai, Sophie Chabowski. Sophie bravely opens up about her first pregnancy, which she tragically chose to terminate after it was discovered the baby had a severe heart condition incompatible with life. Now, mum to four children, Sophie talks about building her amazing business, juggling family life, and discovering her son Luca had a cleft palate and all this has entailed. I've always found Sophie to be one of these people who just calms you just by being in her presence, and I could have spoken to her for hours. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi Sophie, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. How's the shop? Is it yeah, going Yeah, it's going well. well. It's going well. Um, you, busy, busy. Do you um, expect a boost over half term or does it quieten down? Yeah, um, it can go either way to be honest. Um, I think we're more focusing on Christmas coming up now. Oh. So I know, I'm not there personally, but work-wise we've been there for a couple of weeks now. No, so. you have to though, don't you? You do. And you did ahead. the most adorable... Um, Letters to Santa last year. Yeah, and we'll be doing the same again this year and we're going to make a bigger deal of it because now obviously we can't have Santas really. I don't know what other places are going to do, but obviously because of social distancing, I'm guessing Santa won't be such a... I know, you can't go and visit and sit on Santa's lap. Does Santa get COVID? (laughs) Potentially, I don't know. Santa with a mask isn't quite the same. I hadn't even gone that far. My head hadn't gone there. I know, so we're going to make a much bigger deal of... um, uh, your Christmas wish letters and posting them and, and things Aww. like that. So try and uh... honestly, that Bertie was beside himself Aww. last year, um, and his reply, and he sat in the shop reading it out Aww. by himself. And I mean, for him to read anything voluntarily is amazing. It's a big thing. So, yes, I know that <laughs> feeling. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's such a it's a, such a small thing, but it means such a lot to the kids. It does. It? So, it does. Oh, yeah, oh, I can't wait. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we'll get all Christmas up soon. So. Um, I start all my podcasts the same way, okay. um, which is how did you meet your husband, which is Simon? Yes, I met Simon at school, actually. Did you? Yeah, so I would have met him when I was about 12, when I went to Dubai College. So just 15 um, years ago then. So, <laughs> yes. Um, so I didn't really know him well when I was 12, but we started dating when we were 15. So you were both brought up in Dubai? Yeah, both brought up in Dubai. Okay. And yeah. where's Simon from originally? Um, his mum's Serbian, his dad's English, Polish, but okay. um, uh, his parents were in the UK a long time before yeah, yeah. they moved out to Kuwait and then here. Um, and yeah, so we're both expat brats. Um, oh gosh, so how does that work for your children then? Because so they were all born in the UK. Ah, Yes, they had clever. to go back for the birth of all of them. Because, um, for people who don't know, if you're two expats, and you have children. So yeah, if you're both of you are British but born abroad, mm-hmm. you can only pass the gener- the passport one generation born abroad. So our children would be second generation born abroad, and then it becomes a very grey area. There are some loopholes, um, but it was too complicated, and we got different answers every time. So, so that so you deliberately went back to the UK uh, to have them just for the births. Yeah. 
Oh, I see. So that we could guarantee the passport. Otherwise, it's a very lengthy, very expensive process from here where you could be told no, and then you have to go and fight it. So um, we didn't want that. Wow. That's things we need to think about with our children. But, you know, I'm one of four, um, and I'm the only one that has had to do that because um, the others were either in the UK anyway or married someone born in the UK. Okay. Um, Or maybe they'll marry someone with a different passport and they can pass that on. So I just need to teach Bertie his chat-up line is, were you born in the yes, UK? Yes, where were you born? <laughs> what passport do you hold? <laughs> and then we're good. We're all good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I wanted to ask, because you have four lovely children. I Did do. you always want four? No. <laughs> in a word. I kind of thought three. I hadn't put too much thought into it, but I thought maybe three. Um, two, I'm one of two, but then I have a half-brother and sister, so that's where the four yeah. is. But they're... 11 and 14 years older than me so I didn't grow up with them from a young child it was more as a teenager that I sort of had more relationship with them um so I kind of thought three and then when we had the third I was like yeah there's one missing so um we had a really so you really felt like you needed I I, people had that done feeling I know my sisters both had two and they were done like even when they were pregnant they're like I'm done Mm -hmm. and I never had that done um and then, so we had the four, the third, and I was, we were both like, mm, okay, yeah, one more. <laughs> and do you have the done feeling now? I'm not sure oh, I do, but I'm done. No. I'm done. I've decided I'm done. When I was pregnant with the fourth, I was like, I'm too old for this. I was only 31 when I ha- had the fourth, but I was, I was so exhausted. They were so close together. Are you that young? Not that yeah, you don't look so now. now. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah, I had them first at 26 and the last at 31. So very intense few that years. Is intense. And I was exhausted through my last pregnancy and I was like, I'm done, I'm done. Too old for this. Um, but then when she was about 18 months, she toilet trained herself and I was like, no more nappies. And yes. I was like, oh, maybe one more. And I did kind of falter for a little while. And then now she's nearly three and I'm like, no, I'm moving on. You know, we've done baby. It's amazing. I love it. <laughs> Give me a newborn any day over. You're going to have to borrow friends. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now our friends are just starting to have kids. I'm like, come on, guys. Do it for me. Well, now your kids can like babysit for their kids, baby. <laughs> exactly. So we had a friend come around with a baby the other day and Kaya, my eldest, just took the baby off and was just mothering this baby. Oh, it was so cute. They, yeah, she's great. She's a, she's a mom herself. Oh, really. that's so lovely. She's a so they're, they're seven, nearly eight, six, four, and three. Nearly three, yeah. Wow. They're close. Yeah. So when the youngest was born, the oldest was not yet five. So, gosh. Really intense. That is super intense. Yes. Yeah. But it's all we knew at that time. Yeah. We were just in the baby, you know, in the in that zone. And they they all kind of had the same routine. And although it's, it's intense, as in they're all demanding of your time, mm-hmm. um, for me or for us, that kind of made sense. And I can see how having a bigger gap, you kind of go back to, you know, you they grow up and you after that baby phase and then to go back to newborn, which has its... Where I am. Where you are, <laughs> which has its bonuses as well, because you can then focus on each baby more. Um, but for us, get it in there, yeah. <laughs> get it done. No, I think so. Um, my next question was going to be, do they play together? Did I like, mm-hmm. like hanging out together, which yeah. is where... It's difficult with where I am with the larger age gap yes. because yeah. he's um, he's he's not the child that he's he doesn't independently play very well. So right. he wants you with him all the yeah. time. Um, so he's because he's really... used to having that for well, such yeah. a long time. Yes, but we've always encouraged independent <laughs> play as well. So it hasn't quite worked yet. Yeah. Um, well, now he just wants to hang out with friends, which is lovely, yeah. which is amazing. But um, 
so I guess that's that's a big difference. Um, so do they? Yeah, so yeah, they do. They absolutely play nicely together. Don't get me wrong, they fight a lot as well. And it goes in kind of phases. Um, I think when they spend too much time together, like during the lockdown, they yeah. were killing each other. Were they? Um, but at the same time, with four of them, if one's annoying you, then you've got another one to go and play with. So, True. you know, I've, and it's sort of, I find they, they fight most with the one next to them in age. So my mm-hmm. eldest will fight most with the six-year-old. Mm-hmm but she'll play much better with the younger two. And then the six-year-old will fight with the one above her, him and below him. But then, yeah. you know, So if it, as long as there's a separation in order, they yeah. play well. But the ones that they're closest to in age, they butt heads with more. That's interesting. I guess because they're wanting to do the same, more similar things. Yeah, or... but then they can also, at times, play the nicest together, you know, with the ones... <laughs> I don't it's know. nice key on your toes, basically. <laughs> exactly, you never quite know. Um, but no, it's very interesting watching the dynamics of, um, of you know, family life, you know. Yeah. So um, I love watching it. It's interesting. It can be hard work. It can be very hard work. Well, we need to add in as well that you have two dogs and often foster dogs as well. So it's yes. a it's a it's a busy household. Busy house. Yeah. yeah. I think we we thrive on chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Organized chaos kind of, but that is somehow it all works out. Incredible. So Sophie, we met um gosh, 6 years, six and a half, it must how old be about is my that. son? Yeah. Uh, older than that. So yeah, nearly 7 years ago probably. Yeah. Um because I was looking to use cloth nappies. Yep. And you were selling cloth nappies. Absolutely, yeah. So tell me how that started and how yeah. you moved on to the amazing shop you have now, which is my favorite place to visit. <laughs> oh, thank I you. Love it. So, um I used cloth nappies for my oldest for Kaya, um purely because um, I had heard the quality of the disposable nappies you get here wasn't great. Um, for my sister who had moved from the UK here, she mm-hmm. said the quality was quite different. So I looked into it, I found cloth, and I thought, look, if it's easy, I'll do it. If it's not, I won't. Was it So was it not so much an eco choice at that point? It was more just a practical choice? It was, yeah, it, it, I just kind of stumbled across it. And the more I read about it, the more from the, I, I, I kind of started to think about the eco side. I hadn't mm-hmm. really thought about it before that. Yeah. Um, and also the chemicals and all of that, and also the financial side as well. Um, I just kind of basically I stumbled across it, and the more I read about it, the more it made more sense. Yeah. So I tried them with her, and I really liked them, and I didn't look back. But then coming back out here, people used to always ask me where I got my cloth nappies from, mm-hmm. and because you couldn't really buy them here much at the time. And so my husband had a his own company; it was a general trading company, so I could do it as a branch under yeah. him. Um, so I just used to do the markets, the Baby Bazaar market once a month, had a really basic website and just did a bit, you know, on the side. And then I had three more kids <laughs> <laughs> whilst doing that. Um, and I joined with a friend who did the baby wearing um, side of things. Yeah. And we did a pop-up shop together in Dubai Garden Centre. Um, she then wanted to hand over the um, baby wearing side, so we took that on. And she focused on the baby wearing consultancy. Um and it kind of expanded from there. And we then took a small shop in Times Square, um, and now we took our then we took our big one after a year. So it's kind of it's grown. It has grown. <laughs> I didn't anticipate that. I didn't. It just it kind of happens to start with, and then you just kind of take it a bit further and a bit further, and suddenly. And I guess that's a lovely way to do it. Is that you haven't got like an, an end goal in sight particularly, no. and it's just sort of organically 
become like what I mean what do you you stock everything really don't you yeah so we try with our with our um our store now we we try to be sort of a one-stop shop for people that like the well our ethos is a more natural way so it doesn't have to ram organic down your throat you mm-hmm. know organic isn't always the cheapest option sometimes it's not even you know the most viable option yeah. for certain things um particularly if you're looking at like strollers and car seats and things like that yeah but organic shops tend to be expensive and that alone puts a lot of people off so we try and focus on a more natural way, which is trying to use the more natural materials. Often it's a simpler way of doing things. It doesn't have to be more expensive and, you know, more stuff. Often we try and reduce people's things that they need. Yeah. Actually, you need less. Yeah, and actually you've got that on your website, haven't you? That it's, yeah. um, you know, you don't need to buy as much as you think you need to buy. And that's no. one of my big things as well, because I think the marketing, you know, they just, it's a bit like weddings, isn't it? We just take yes. advantage of people. You go crazy. Yeah, yeah, you really do. Um, and I'm a quite a minimalist parent, I would say myself. I have, you know, if I can have 10 things or I can have 10 different items or one thing that pretty much does that, you know, 10, 10 jobs, then mm-hmm. I'll do it. Even if it's not perfect, Yeah, I'd rather have one item. Mm-hmm. Um, so also because... I'm actually a really disorganized person. The more stuff I, I have, the more that. I have to take. Four children, an amazing shop, two dogs, foster dogs, and you're telling me you're disorganized. No, so. I am. I'm very disorganized. So that's why I need to keep things simple. You know, if you've got 10, 10 items, then they all have different parts and different this and different that. And there's more to tidy, more to clean, yeah. more to manage. Whereas if you can keep it really basic, then that somehow works better for me. What are the kids like? Do they come into the shop and like want to buy everything? They do, and they generally run riots. So we tend to have a firm, stern talking to before we go in, you will behave. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they, they trash the store. Um, <laughs> actually, a lot of the things they've already seen, because as much as possible, I try and test things on my own kids. Yeah. You know, Try and stock things that I've used and I can vouch for. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another reason to have another baby, because now I don't have a baby. <laughs> Yes, we need a baby because we need to test products on them. No. So this could go on for many years. <laughs> yeah. No, we've drawn the line. We've drawn the line. Um, so now we um, we ask other people to test and try things yeah. for us. And from experience, we've learned, you know, you can often look at products um, and assess them quite well from experience. Mm-hmm. And what's, um, because with the store, you don't just sell, you also educate as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can you talk a bit more about that and why you do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel that um, as a, um, a parent-to-be, you obviously, you know, you go to your antenatal classes and you learn about pregnancy and you learn about giving birth and you learn about caring for baby. But then when it comes to the products, you're kind of just out there. And like you rightly said, marketing can be very careful, mm-hmm. um, very deceitful <laughs> um, and push you into things um, that maybe are not the right choice for you. So we run free classes. Actually, we've just started doing them again on Zoom. So previously, we used to do them in person. We have a community room in the store. Um, and we run, so we have a cloth nappies one. We have a safe sleep, so all product related for safe sleep and what the guidelines are. We also have a car seat safety. Which, which guidelines do you follow for the safe sleep? Do you look at the UK guidelines? So we try to be as general as possible because there's people from everywhere. Yeah. So we, um, we give people the the knowledge of what guidelines are in general um, and they can make their own choices as to how far they want to follow it you know that we're not medical people I'm not you know I'm not a researcher I I purely come at it from a parent's point of view um, a peer um, and all the research I've done I try and impart that on people so it will give them hopefully condensed all my research into sort of an hour and then it will give them their starting point to go and do their own research a bit further down Mm -hmm. other lines and other routes 
So I try and stay brands, um, uh, brand neutral. Um, obviously, we're a retail store. We stock a variety of brands, but there's loads of other brands in the market that we don't stock. For example, Mamas and Papas have some great brands, mm-hmm. have some great products. Yeah. We won't stop those because we're not a Mamas and Papas store. Yeah. Um, so it's not to say that they're not great. And often we do um, pick out specific products just as, an, um, as a basis, but there's so many out there. And if you can apply the knowledge that you've learned, you can look at a product in a different light. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the car seats, obviously we look at the different safety standards um, and how you can apply that to choosing the right car seat for you. Yeah, And that's something which is... Um, so needed in Dubai because uh, Absolutely. our car seat standards are interesting to say the least. Um, and also, yeah. as a parent, again, something I've really not mm-hmm. noticed is um, I had a friend a little bit like you um, who said she was like, a, well, I say I had, she's just moved out of Dubai. Um, so she used to do spreadsheets for everything, research, okay. research, research. So, yeah. and her little boy was a bit older and much taller than, than okay. Bertie. So um, he was always that little bit ahead. So I could just ask her, yes. hi, Diane, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, save you doing all yeah, the research. Basically, yeah. well, what have you bought for this? Why did you do that? Because um, I think people don't understand that actually to keep children rear safe, uh, rear facing yeah. until the, the last minute really yeah. is, is the safest way to do it. And Absolutely. I think um, people just think, oh, they were, you know, we turn them forward. Yeah. And that's not the safest way to do it. No, um, absolutely. So I love that you're starting to stock rear-facing car seats. We will be, yeah, the extended rear-facing. Yep, we, um, we're working on that at the moment. And educating. Yeah, watch so. this space. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really good. It's really good yeah. um, with the roads here as well. And that's absolutely. Yeah, and you know, needed. I think it's such a minefield with the products. Um, so if we can just give people that little bit more information that they can then go and... Um, help them source the products that will suit them. They'll probably want to do some more research, but at least it's given them a starting point and mm-hmm. questions to ask rather than I'm going to buy that because that's what I've seen on Instagram and other people have it. But yeah. is it actually safe? Yeah. Um, particularly when it comes to sleep, that's a big sleep one. Ones, yeah. Um, and then with the cloth nappies, you know, it's a minefield in terms of you go round and round in circles. There's so many types. So again, we try and give people the knowledge to break it down mm-hmm. and see what will suit them. Absolutely. Um, and also take out the concern of it's really hard because it's not as you know. Yep. No, it's not. It's really easy, yeah. everybody. Yes, <laughs> it is easy. <laughs> I'm so happy to say that this episode of Motherhood Exposed has been sponsored by my favorite baby shop in Dubai, Eggs and Soldiers, the parenting treasure trove on the ground floor of Times Square Center and online at eggsandsoldiers.com. Launched in 2014 by lifelong UAE resident and mother of four, Sophie Chabowski, Eggs and Soldiers proudly researches, personally tests and cherry picks eco-aware, sustainable and locally sourced baby essentials and playtime equipment, plus the world's safest and most rigorously tested strollers and car seats. This is where you'll find honest advice about the best purchases for your baby, toddler and family's ever-changing needs, plus tips on what you can definitely do without. Check out eggsandsoldiers.com where you can live chat with the team and order with free speedy delivery throughout the UAE and across the Middle East. Not only that, but the lovely team at Eggs and Soldiers have given all Motherhood Exposed listeners a 10% discount code valid until November the 8th. So for online purchases, use Zoe CM10. Z-O-E-D-M-10. And what's, um, what's in, in store for the future with the shop? We're looking at expanding. Um, Are you? Yeah, we're looking at going to other Emirates. Um, so that's in hand. Oh, so again, watch this space. Um, again, we'll I don't believe the word. I'm disorganised. This is not. <laughs> this is not the display of a disorganised person. Um, I have a lot of help. You know, I would be. I, I, it would be false to think to, to advertise that I do it all alone. I absolutely don't. Um, I have an amazing helper at home that helps keep my house in check. 
Um, and my husband helps a lot. Simon, he helps a lot with the company um, because obviously I'm a mum as well. Mm -hmm. And my kids at the end of the day are my main focus. Of course. So they're at school and nursery, which is great. But come 2.30 when I pick them up, um, I have to stop work. So um, Simon helps, up, uh, helps out a load with work. I also have an amazing team of staff at the shop and they, they do a lot. So I couldn't do it without everyone, <laughs> literally. <laughs> So in terms of having children, mm -hmm. um, what point did that happen in your marriage? So if I'm very honest, slightly before. <laughs> um, uh, so um, I, we got engaged and then I very quickly found out I was pregnant and we got married very soon after mm -hmm. that. Um, uh, that was back in the UK. Um, so we were slightly thrust into it. It's not something we really planned We've yeah, been... sorry, I should say that I asked about um, in your marriage because in Dubai, I was thinking you were in Dubai because in yeah. Dubai it is um, illegal to absolutely. have children out of marriage. Yes, um, sorry, absolutely. so that's why that question was asked. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Apologies. So it was absolutely fine. <laughs> I'm very open about it. So we, we had been together for 10 years before we got married, before we got engaged. Um, so we started dating when we were 15 and at 25 we got engaged. Um, and then we very quickly um, were pregnant and um, everything was okay. And then we went for our 20-week scan, which actually had 21 weeks, and then we found out everything was not okay. So we were kind of thrust into having children. We were so happy and so excited about it, but it's not something we had really planned yet. We hadn't really talked about when we would have, have children. Mm -hmm. It just happened. It just happened. Yeah. And what um, what did you find at the so we went scan? for yeah we went for a scan at twenty one weeks which is a normal anatomy scan and we both naively just assumed we were going to find out if it was a girl or a boy and then we were going to start talking about baby names we hadn't talked about it since then we were going to find out what we were having first to at least try and cut the list in yeah, half absolutely <laughs> exactly so um, we went for a scan and they said it's a boy great. And then they were doing all their things and being our first sort of scan, really, we'd had one at 12 weeks in the UK um, and that was all fine, but it's very quick, isn't it? They just check for a heartbeat. Yep. And then we didn't have any scans because we were following the UK system. Um, and so they said they couldn't see everything they needed to see. So go off for a little walk. Baby's in a funny position. Mm -hmm. Come back in 20 minutes. So Which we came back. unusual. That's quite common. Quite common, yes, exactly. And we didn't seem, we didn't, weren't too bothered by that because we didn't, didn't know any difference. difference. Absolutely. Now, if I was told that, as I have been again since, um, I would freak out and yeah. I did freak out again. Um, so we went for a walk, came back and they said, we can't quite see baby's heart properly. We think there might be a problem with baby's heart, but come back in a week because we want baby to grow a bit and then to be in a different position. So we're like, okay, this is a bit weird because we didn't know anyone that had a problem with baby. We never even contemplated that you go in and you might find a problem. Mm -hmm. So off we went and that was a funny old week, you know, no, that's... worrying one, but also, they, well, why would there be a problem? Yeah. You know, there's no problems in our family. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I know babies aren't always born healthy and people, you know, there are birth defects and all sorts, but it's something... For some reason, I'd never thought it would happen to us. Mm -hmm. You know, I think as a lot of people, you know, do. And, and are you 25 at this point? In it? I'm 25 years yeah, old, yeah. so you're relatively I was really young, I was a baby. Yeah, like, I don't mean to patronising yeah. to other people, but it is so young, It's really isn't young. It? At the time, um, you think it's not, but now looking back, yeah. I was a baby. Oh my gosh. Um, and my husband's 25 as well at the time, so. So you can't have had any, probably any friends to kind of... No, my sister had had a baby a year before us, um, and my older sister had had a baby a while before as well. But again, it just 
was smooth. So it's yeah. just how it's going to be. Yeah. Um, so we went back a week later um, and they scanned and they said, yes, there's a problem with baby's heart. Um, she thought the aorta wasn't connected properly to the rest of the body. I'm not sure how that works. As a med- I'm not a medical person, right. so I'm not sure how the aorta can't be because then the blood wouldn't go around the body. But anyway, and she said, if you go to Latifa Hospital, they'll offer you a termination. So hold on, are you in the UK or in Dubai? In Dubai. Are you in Dubai? In Dubai for the 21, yeah, oh, okay. 20 weeks again. Yeah. So Latifa is our um, public hospital. It's a yeah, um, government hospital. most of the hospitals in Dubai are, are private yeah. care. So what's available in a private hospital is different to what's available in a in a government hospital. Exactly. So. And most people think that termination is illegal in the UAE. Mm-hmm. And it is, except for extreme circumstances. So essentially, if baby is incompatible with life, I believe that's the grounds for termination. Okay. Um, we were then kind of sent on our way. Wow, so you were just told that he was incompatible with life? Essentially, yes. Um, and that was it, off you go, to, to sort it all out yourself? Yeah, because this was a clinic that just did scans. Oh, so they just sort of said, yeah, just, I think she, she used to work at Latifa Hospital, and I think she basically was telling us to go to Latifa Hospital, but... But with no, you weren't given any records or any They said, come back, come back tomorrow and you can have the CD of the scan. Yeah. So... We were kind of in shock a bit, like, what, the, what, what do we do with this information? Obviously, we were devastated as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to our GP that same day, um, who was a lovely lady, um, and she said, right, I'm going to look into um, finding a cardiologist here, and, you know, let's take it step by step. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was working at a veterinary clinic as a vet nurse, and the owner had um, five children, just had a fifth child, and she said, go to Dr. George, just go. And I was like, okay, <laughs> blood ring mess. Like, okay. Not really knowing what that meant, go to Dr. George. Um, I'd never heard of Dr. George, but I was like, okay, okay, okay. So Dr. George in Dubai is um, very famous for yes. being like the fetal medicine specialist doctor. Yeah. Um, he's held on a very high pedestal yes. across Dubai. But yeah, and this was, this would have been nine years ago now, eight, yeah, nine years ago. So there wasn't as many doctors as there no, are now. It wasn't no. as advanced nearly at all. Um, so we um, booked to see Dr. George, um, not really knowing why or who or what. Yeah. But off we went and he was an absolute angel. So he squeezed us in. I think it was about five o'clock in the afternoon that we went to go and see him. Um, and he scanned and he said, um, he diagnosed, he said, right, baby's got something called tet- tetralogy of fallow. Yeah which is basically four heart defects and being tetralogy four. I can't remember what those four are. And he said, "There's it, you can have tetralogy of fallow and leave, lead a pretty normal life. You may not need surgery um, or most, children, most babies do need surgery or at the other end of the spectrum, you can be incompatible with life. Mm-hmm. And it's all to do with the structures of the heart yeah. and how the vessels go off it and blah, blah, blah. He said... You need to see a fetal medicine specialist, sorry, a, a, a fetal cardiologist um, to diagnose it fully. He said, you know, I can see it's tetralogy, but you need a specialist yeah. to see the exact details and also what the prognosis is and also where you go from here. Yeah. So he said, go home, book a flight to London, um, book a hotel for a week. Um, 
uh, I will be in touch later. And lo and behold, that evening he contacted us and said, right, you've got this appointment, this appointment, this oh. appointment, um, go. So we did. Wow. So you just dropped everything, got on yep. a plane. Yeah, we got on a plane um, the next morning, I think. Um, went to London and we saw a fetal cardiologist who was also a pediatric cardiologist. So the difference being fetal being in utero. Mm -hmm. So they specialize in those teeny tiny hearts. Yeah, incredible. So we saw him um, and he said, yes, it's Tetralogia Fallow. It's pretty extreme. Um, he said not only is the heart um, affected, but also the vessels that come off the heart are quite abnormal. So whereas you would normally get big vessels, there's lots of small ones. So they basically said they don't think there's much chance for survival. They could try this, try this, try this, be multiple surgeries. Um, and they said even if baby survived those first surgeries, life expectancy would be very short. Wow. They'd say maybe 10 years if you're lucky because baby wouldn't be... Uh, wouldn't be a candidate for a heart transplant because of all the vessels. Um, they said it all, it would have all depended on the PDA, which is the little vessel. I, you might know more than me, but the little vessel that closes between the lungs and the heart. Um, basically, when you're born, the PDA closes um, and that's a valve and that because you're then breathing on your own. Yeah. Um, but for our baby, basically, the lungs and the heart were not connected. So while baby's in utero, my oxygen obviously oxygenates yeah, yeah, baby, yeah. but as soon as they're born, they need to breathe for themselves. Yeah. And because the oxygen couldn't get from the lungs to the rest of the body, um, once that PDA closed, um, baby would essentially die. And actually on post-mortem afterwards, they, the PDA was completely um, deformed and it wouldn't wow. have, uh, wouldn't have um, been viable. Um, so where were you emotionally at this point? Broken, absolutely broken. Um, but at the same time, it was quite black and white because it was so severe. Yeah. You know, it was, it was really, was really no, bad. There was no choice, really. Yeah. There was, I mean, we could have carried on the pregnancy and waited and seen what happened. But we both felt that a parent's job is to protect their child. And by terminating, we, we did that. Mm -hmm. So at this point, we didn't know what a termination meant, what didn't know what Tails, it was. Yeah. And I, we purposely didn't want to know. I said, I don't want that to affect our decision in what we do. So we chose to terminate. Um, and again, we were, I don't mean to be patronising, but that's so mature at 25. Yeah. Um, it's so much to take on. Yeah. And, and you're not even in your home country. No, um, we were staying such. in a hotel. Yeah, yeah that's, that's massive. Yeah. Huge no, it, decisions. It was a big decision, but we just, we felt it was the right decision for us, you know. Um, as heartbreaking as it was, it, we just knew it was right. Yes. And that was, so in a way, it was an easy decision. Yes. You know, um, which is a strange thing to say in such an extreme circumstance. But it, it was, we, it was, it was very black and white. So we um, had the termination done in the UK, which was actually really challenging because we had to get into the NHS system to do that, um, which we didn't have a GP, we didn't have mm -hmm. all those things. And by this point, I was already, so I was 21 weeks at my first scan, so 22 weeks, and then we flew. So we were getting really close yeah. to that 24-week mark. Of course, yes, of mark. course. Um, and the way it works is until 24 weeks, you can terminate by choice. What I didn't know at the time was actually you can terminate beyond that for medical reason. Yeah. For extreme medical reason, you can terminate all the way. Well, mm -hmm. within reason. Um, so actually, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, but we needed to get, it's much simpler if you can do it before that 24 week. 
So we managed to um, get into the the system. Um, that was really challenging. Um, and so I had the, the termination goes in two parts. So you, because I was so advanced, if I'd had, if they just induced labor, I would have given birth to a live baby. Yeah. So they do something called feticide, mm-hmm. where they inject through your belly. I don't know if this is too much information for people. It's, yeah, I didn't know any of this before, but they basically inject through your belly to baby to stop their heart. Um, they do a big dose of morphine first, and then they stop the baby's heart, which for me was the worst bit. I was going to say, I think that must yeah. have been... It was horrific. Yeah. But <laughs> we got the worst. because we had to fight to get it done, because of I won't go into the details of the complicatedness between getting the diagnosis and yeah. then getting it done. It's but not just a that has red tape, basically. <laughs> no, it was. we really had to fight. And we met some really nasty people on the way as well that said, no, it was we were terminating because we wanted to, not because. Oh. So that was really hard. Um, so by the time we had it done, it was such a relief. You know, it was like we're getting to the end of this. Yeah, this is yeah, going to be over. So and then what's really cruel is you have that and then they make you wait two days to deliver. I don't know why. And no one can answer that question, but they do. Um, so two days later, so we went in into a hotel room waiting. Actually, by this point, my sister was living in the UK um, up north in Yorkshire. So we went to her. Yeah, good. Good, yeah. I'm pleased. Um, so that made it easier. So, yeah, two days later, we went into hospital and was induced. And, yeah. And delivered your little boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was really weird because I hadn't done any antenatal stuff. So I didn't... You didn't know what to expect. No. Did you have an epidural? No, I didn't. No, I chose not. Well, I could have. They said, we can give you medication mm-hmm. so that you won't remember it all. But I said, no, I want to. Um, and, yeah, gave birth. You were one strong woman. <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird one. Did you did you look at him? Did you mm-hmm. see him? Yeah, meet him? we did. Yeah, we cuddled him. We didn't have a name because we were going to find out if it's a boy or a girl and then talk about yeah, names, of course, and then yeah. we didn't. So, yeah, so it's cr- okay. Um, I think one of the really sad things about this story as well is um, we've heard from Zara in the, a few episodes ago, and um, uh, she was also fi- talking about how much she had to fight for things for her. Yeah. Termination for medical reasons, the same as yours. Isn't yeah. it? It, I mean, that's it's just horrific, but that seems to be a theme. Yes. Um, I mean, out of a poll of two ladies, but yeah. still, that's two ladies too many. Yeah. Um, so um, things have to change. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've listened to Zara's episode, but she um, she has managed to uh, to boycott, I suppose, um, with um, various different organisations, Tommies and ARC mm-hmm. and Petals, and they're now working together to try and support women much better okay. through this process. Yeah. So hopefully um, yes. things are going to be improving. Yeah. Um, but, you know, between you um, eight, eight years ago, nine, nine years ago, yeah. um, and Zara last year, you okay. know, yeah. there's still a lot of women who have had to go through, yeah. possibly. Yeah. I think had we been in the UK system, it would have been simpler. And also the first hospital we were referred to in the NHS hospital, the woman that we met there, excuse my words, but she was an absolute bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that made all the difference. Whereas when we went to Leeds Hospital, they were so kind and so compassionate. And had we gone straight there, we yeah. would have had a very different okay. experience. Yeah. I think it's very much who you get, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and I think for the people that deal with this, they deal with it all the time. So maybe the emotion goes yeah. out of it slightly. Well, I think I think it comes too much of an everyday and, and that's dangerous yeah. when it becomes like yeah. that. Um, and yeah. I think... 
I think all medical staff are probably at risk of doing that because that is what you do day in and yes. day out. But we have to remember that it's yeah. people. There's a human behind it or an emotion. It's, it's their lives. Yeah, and, absolutely. So, yeah, that was that. Was that and it, the delivery was all straightforward. It, it was my longest one. Is 12 really? months. Yeah, actually, it wasn't. Then it was longer. But it was the hardest one by far because it's your first. They say your first birth is the hardest. Of course. And whether it's a, you know, a three kilo baby or a 500 gram baby mm -hmm. that we had, you still go through the same, right? Um, so, yeah. And, and what, what happened with him um, after you delivered? So we had the choice of um, cremating or burying, mm -hmm. and we chose to cremate, yeah. um, which they did. And then we got the ashes back and they did little handprints and footprints, it was very cute. And then we put the ashes inside the frame. And that's how. Nice. So, um, you had your lovely little boy, yeah. and then how 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 long did you wait? Did you then actively start trying? For, so did it no, sort of we start a spark in you that you wanted to be a mum? So yeah, I think yes, on that side of things. But we wanted to get over baby's initial due date before we started trying. We thought that that yeah. could be a hard time. Let's yes. go past that. Mm -hmm. So we did, and then I was very lucky to fall pregnant very quickly afterwards. Um, uh, so baby was due um, uh, end of February. And then I fell pregnant the following month. Wow. wow. So very quickly. Yeah. Um, as my GP used to say, yeah, I'm a fertile myrtle. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a nice label. It's um, better than being a Jamira Jane. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, I was very, very fortunate in the sense that I never struggled to conceive. Um, and I count my blessings for that. Um, although we had struggles in other areas, that, that wasn't one of them. Um, so um, fell pregnant with um, our daughter. Um, obviously, I had a lot of scans and a heart, yeah. and it was all fine. Um, it definitely helped having a girl after a boy, you know. Um, with the tetralogy of Alice, is, is there any congenital reason for that, or is it just... So they did um, do um, genetic testing. Uh -huh. So I was going to have an amnio, but because we terminated, they could take the... Um, the blood and you yeah. know get the cells elsewhere so I didn't end up having an amio um, and it all came back normal but the thing with chromosome testing or DNA testing is that they only know so much you know there's so much so many chromosomal abnormalities and syndromes that they don't know because they do your genetic makeup but everyone has abnormalities but what they don't always know is that abnormality mean you know you're be left-handed versus right-handed mm -hmm. or whatever? Or does that abnormality mean you'll have a heart defect? And there are a lot of things they do know, but there's a lot that they don't. So it still needs to be done. Yeah, so um, and I'm, it's a question mark in our family because as I will go on to discuss, we've had more problems since. Yeah. So it is definitely a question, you know, is there a genetic component here mm -hmm. um, that hasn't been found? But anyway, they did gen um, a full array um, uh testing and they didn't come up with anything. The most... You're in Dubai now with Dr. George? Um, so this testing, that was all done through the UK because I gave birth there. So that Sorry. was yeah. all there. Mm -hmm. So um, with that baby, that was, they said, no, everything seems to be as it was. It was just bad luck. Okay. They look particularly for did George syndrome with um, tetralogy, but it seemed not. No. So they said, look, there's no reason why you would go on. Every other baby won't be happy and yeah. healthy. You know, sometimes these things happen. It's just bad luck. So we're like, okay, great. Conceived Kaya, um, we didn't do an amnio with her um, because we didn't feel the need. There was no structural differences her, or her scan seemed clear. So yeah. we never really felt we needed to. And especially as the first baby's genetics seemed fine, what are we looking for the second time around? So 
there was no need. So we, um, the pregnancy was smooth, apart from I get hyperemesis with all my pregnancies, oh no. which is the oh, extreme sickness. Thing. So that was pretty rough. But with, with no other children to take care of, it was horrible but manageable. The whole way through? No, about halfway. Okay. Few then. It goes away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes away. Um, so thankfully it was all plain sailing. I went back to the UK. I gave birth. I had a lovely birth. Um, for me, the birth is the best bit. I love giving birth yep. because it means I'm not pregnant anymore. <laughs> I hate being pregnant. I think the hyperemesis and I'm just, I don't know, it just gets in the way, you know? Yeah. Well, so, it's quite debilitating, isn't it? Yeah. Quite, it I think that's probably but even just being, even being pregnant, you know, it's, some people glow and I'm, I don't glow. I don't feel like a glow. I'm just like, you know, get out. Mm. <laughs> so I love giving birth and I've been very fortunate to have lovely births. Um, so Kaya was due Christmas Day. So that was an interesting Christmas. Wow. Um, and she was born two days later. So nice. December 27th. Nice Christmas so baby. Christmas baby. Yeah. Which means it's always a very eventful yeah. time of year in our house. I'm a Christmas baby. You're a Christmas baby yeah. as well. And then now we've had, obviously, Sybil is December as well. So okay. I was just, because obviously it's coming up to her first Christmas and we just need to start thinking about things like, this is difficult because obviously in six months' time, she's going to want different things <laughs> she needs now. So do we buy toys or things for her for which we put away in the cupboard for six months. Yeah. So like, how do you do it? Like I used to get quite a lot of joint presents. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. When's but your birthday? 15th. Okay. Um, so how do you do it? How do you, so how do you... no, we've been really strict on the no joints yeah. because I, my birthday is January 7th. So not long after. To be fair, quite a lot of those were my choice though. Cause I'd want something bigger. Well, <laughs> so that's that's when you get older, it's great. But when you're young, yeah. it seems like such a cop out to get one present that's joint. You know? Yeah. So we very much do Christmas and then, so Boxing Day is a quickly put away Christmas and then make a birthday cake and birthday. Yeah, my nephew's <laughs> Boxing Day as well. Oh, so really? It's, it's, just, it's so busy and difficult, isn't it's it? It's really busy. Yeah, it's really busy. But we always try really hard to make it a, a birthday day rather than anything yeah. else. So nice. it just, um, it extends over. So yeah, she was, um, yeah, easy birth and lovely baby. No. And yeah. And before really long, well. you were pregnant again. So yeah, so I was then when she was... Eight months old, I fell pregnant again. Planned, we did plan to have another one quite quickly, um, and I didn't really worry this time round um, because we'd had a healthy baby. Mm -hmm. I kind of thought all will be okay. They told us quite early, but twelve weeks that it was a boy, so that did make my kind of heart skip yeah, a beat, thinking, absolutely. "Oh God, here we go again." Yeah. Um, but they said, "You know, don't worry. We'll scan." Um, at 16 weeks, we'll do an early heart scan and then we'll do the proper anatomy scan at around 20 yep. and we'll pay, you know, pay really close attention, but don't worry. So went f that was a uh, 12 week scan was all good. Went in at 16 weeks for our heart scan um, to check baby's heart and they said, yep, the heart looks great. This is all Dr. George. Yep. Heart looks fantastic. Don't worry. Have a quick look over. There's a problem with the baby's face. So, right. <laughs> You know, when your heart just was sinks. Simon with you? He was with me, yeah. Your heart just sinks and you get that hot feeling all over. Right, what is it? And he said, baby has a cleft. Um, and he said, I think it goes up into the face. So a cleft would normally be from nose to lip, um, downwards. And he said he thought it went up into the nose and up towards the eye. But 16 weeks is very early. Yes. So um, he said, um, we should do an amnio. <laughs> So I had an amniocentesis done the next day. Oh, wow. And he said, you need to go to London. <laughs> really? Yeah, because um, at this point, we're thinking the cleft's much more extreme and it yeah. goes into the face. Mm -hmm. And that requires, uh, obviously, a lot of surgery, very specific surgeons. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but also, again, we can be looking at a syndrome. So he said, I want you to go to London because he said, we see a lot of birth defects in Dubai, but a cleft isn't one of them. He said, it's, I can see it's there, but it's not my specialty. So okay. I want you to go to a colleague of mine at St. George's um, who will see this a lot and have much more experience. So off we go again. Come to tooting. <laughs> yeah, down to London. Um, and meanwhile, the AMIA results are coming back and they come back in three stages. So you get one after a week, one after two weeks and one after three weeks. Um, and they each one goes into more and more detail. And did Kaya come with you to London? No, she didn't. We left her here because we were only going for a few days yeah. at this point. Um, and also with the cleft, we were often a determination again. So we were back here with this decision. So that was a really hard place to be, but at the same time we had been through it before, so we had some experience. And, were the, and the results from the AMIA, was this were the, was the offer of the termination after the results of the AMIA? No, it's just Dr. George mentioned it as in, go to the UK, um, see what it is, that, you know, and a termination could be an option if you want. He said, I'm only telling you this because I know you've been here before yeah. and you have experienced it. Um, so, um, right, off we go. So we went and obviously absolutely terrified about what we might... imagine where you were. Yeah, yeah. what we might find. Um, and actually, it was all a lot more positive than we had initially thought. It, the cleft didn't go up into baby's face. It was what they call a bilateral cleft. So it's bilateral being two sides. Mm -hmm. So most clefts would be left-sided or right-sided. It's a, a split from the nostril down. Um, and Luca had a um, bilateral cleft, so he had a cleft on the left and the right. right. And what that does is that central part then pings forwards and it looks almost like a, a tumour or a growth. Yeah. It's not, it's baby's lip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when we just went for that first appointment, he was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's just a cleft. Go away. <laughs> You'll be fine. Um, <laughs> that must have been a bit... <laughs> such a relief. Like, a relief, but, like, but tell me more information as well. Like, I wanted exactly. To know everything and... Exactly. And he did such a detailed scan because obviously having had a problem before and then having a problem again, yeah. he looked at everything. He was looking at looking for webbing behind the knees. He was looking for wow. every single symptom you can think of yeah. to do with any syndromes he was looking for. And he said, look, I can't see anything. But you can never be 100%. Um, clefts can be sign of syndromes. Um, syndrome being a, a, you know, a um, chromosomal abnormality. Um, so he said the vast majority aren't, but he can't say 100%. Mm -hmm. We also saw a geneticist um, who said, who read the um, amnio results and she said, look, there's nothing here. But again, we can't say 100%. So then we were in this awful situation of, in terms of a termination. So do you terminate because of the cleft, because they look different? You know, you're then terminating because they look different and actually they were fine apart from that. Or not terminate and they could have a, this massive syndrome that no one knows of and they will struggle through life and have a million problems. So whereas before it was really black and white, now it's really gray. Yeah. Um, so that was really hard. Yeah. That was really, really hard. But we felt that we'd had Dr. George here, we'd had the fantastic doctor in the UK who checked everything possible. Mm -hmm. They checked well, everything that they could think of. They checked the genetics and they couldn't see anything. So it was a roll of the dice, you know? But we decided that it would make, you know, with all the information that we had and that everything they found looked okay, mm -hmm. looked normal, we decided to go ahead. But that was really, really hard. That was a... Yeah, it wasn't an easy decision. 
I have no words to be yeah. honest. I don't really know what I, I mean. I, I can't put anything there because I don't know how you make a decision. Like yeah, that. I mean, we just felt that you, you know you get all the information that you can. Yeah, and you make the best decision exactly. based on the information yeah. you have for your I mean, family and your lives. Yeah. And, and thankfully, it all worked out. And Luca is here today, and he has a cleft, and that's it. Um, it's a very extensive cleft. It's about as extreme as you can get in terms of an isolated cleft. Um, so he has the bilateral lip and palate, so he had no roof to his mouth okay. at all. Let's, let's go back some stages. So yeah. you, the, the cleft was diagnosed, mm -hmm. um, you continued with, with mm -hmm. his pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, you came back to Dubai, then back to the UK? Yes, I came back to Dubai, carry on as normal, um, and then went back to the UK for the birth. For the birth, mm -hmm. okay. Which we had planned anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and did Kaya come with you for the... Kaya came with me, yep. So and Did you um, have any more support in the UK? So I went back with her alone. Um, because my husband and I, both our parents, live here. Um, so my dad lived in the UK at the time. Um, and we did consider going, he lived near Birmingham, so we did consider staying with him and having baby um, at Birmingham Hospital. Mm -hmm. And then there's the associated cleft team. So the way it works with clefts is the whole UK is split into sections and there's a cleft team for every part of the UK. Okay. So in Birmingham, there's obviously Birmingham Children's Hospital um, and there's a fantastic surgeon there. All, all the surgeons that do it are amazing. Um, but, uh, and then Queen Charlotte's Hospital in London, where I'd had Kaya, yeah. their associated cleft team was Great Ormond Street. Okay. So we did go and meet the Birmingham um, cleft surgeon as well, and he was fantastic. But the difficulty was, it's an NHS hospital, and we have insurance for our medical. So the way it works is you have to pay um, the NHS bill, and then you submit it to your insurance, and they refund you. But what insurance want is they want itemised everything's and the NHS kind of give you a bill for cleft surgery. Yeah, it's yeah. much more basic. Yeah, so, absolutely. And also you have to front the money um, and then claim it back. Um, whereas by going the Great Ormond Street route, they had an international patients department of private patients and our insurance was direct billing with them. So ultimately we decided to stay in London um, where my in-laws have a little flat that I was able to stay. Perfect. Um, and then we went to the hospital where we used to and then everything was at, at gosh. So, yeah, I went back by myself with Kaya because obviously you could only fly to a certain point. Yeah. So I went back with her by myself, which is really challenging being in a little flat in London. Um, heavily with, pregnant. Heavily pre <laughs> pregnant with a 16-month-old because wow. there's only 17 months between Kaya and Luca. So it's just the exhaustion side, you know. Um, and although there's loads to do in London, there's actually not loads to do with little kids mm. that's not that's cheap <laughs> yeah and easy because it's hard to get around and exactly buses and busyness and yeah and running you know running around after toddlers when you're um when you're heavily pregnant and it's exhausting you know so mums in london we take our hats absolutely. off to you absolutely. absolutely but i think also if you live there you find your crew yeah. and you can do the different mum classes and stuff but the difficulty was i wasn't there for the term whereas they all wanted me to do a term i see or yeah. sign up yeah. and register and that costs money and it just it didn't really fit. No. So it was challenging, but anyway, we got through it. Um, and Luca's pregnancy was quite plain sailing. Um, he had, and I can't remember the name of it, but when you have too much fluid, too much amniotic fluid. Exactly. He had that slightly towards the end. So I was induced. And that's very common with cleft babies because it's to do with the swallowing. Yeah. So it's a very common problem with um, with cleft um, pregnancies, although it wasn't terrible. Um, I was induced, but... Um, not fully, only with, uh, I had two sweeps and then I went into labour naturally. Oh. So simple. With Kaya, I had a full induction um, 
purely because of timing in terms of when Simon had to leave and all of that. Mm. Um, but so Luca, yep, all plain sailing, um, gave birth. Um, and bef- with a cleft, you don't know if the palate's involved or not mm-hmm. until you give birth because they can't see inside the mouth. Okay. Although they had said to us, because the outside is so extensive, we believe the palate is involved as well. So we took the view, expect the worst and anything less is better. And you do hear of a lot of cleft families that assume the palate is involved. Um, and it ends up when baby's born that it's not, which is fantastic news. It's a bit less surgery. Mm-hmm. So Luca... He had it all, <laughs> or he didn't have it all. That was the problem. So he had um, no palate as well. So what was it like when you saw him for the first time? Had you had you looked at images of babies with? Yes. So we'd seen lots of um, images of babies with um, clefts and bilateral clefts. And there's a, a fantastic cleft Facebook a Facebook group that's based in the UK, but there's people from all over the world, yeah. and they're so supportive and they post pictures of their babies or the scans and yeah. all the way through. And so that's really really helpful. Um, and also 3D scans, you know, they're incredible what you can see now. So by the time he was born, we knew what, you know, we yeah. kind of knew what we were going to be dealing with. Okay. Um, and so it wasn't really a shock. And when you're given birth, you, you love your baby no matter how they look, right? And you so quickly get used to it, it's just as normal. Yeah. Um, so but, his, his palate was involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did that mean for like the immediate postnatal period with feeding and things? Yeah, so they can't latch so the way it works is when um, a baby feeds their soft palate has the muscles in it um, and that creates a vacuum but because he had no roof of his mouth his nose and his mouth was one so they can't create a vacuum okay so the way it works with the cleft is you can have a cleft of the soft palate only without the hard palate but if the hard palate's involved the soft palate is always involved it kind of zips up from the back (laughs) forwards so his was all of it so um, he couldn't latch, although I still latch, put him on, put you know, put him on breast and let him have a go. Yeah. Because that's just what's natural to yeah, me. That's what you do when they're born. You they want to suck. Mm-hmm. Um, so he of course couldn't latch, but that, yeah, that's fine. Um, I had researched a lot of um, feeding because he couldn't feed directly. So there's special bottles that are squeezy. So the way it works is as he sucks or goes through, the, he thinks he's sucking. He goes through the motions. Um, I could squeeze the bottle and that would force the milk into his mouth. Okay. So he's going through the motions yeah. without actually doing it properly. So initially I hand expressed colostrum um, and then um, my milk came in by day, I don't know, three-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I could start pumping. And I was very fortunate with Kaya as well that I had a lot of milk. Um, so that was not an issue for Great. me in that sense. So how um, old was he when he had his first surgery? So fast forward to he was three months old when he had his first surgery, three, almost four months. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So it was that long? Yeah. So they used to do it really early, get it quickly fixed yeah. and all done. But the issue is by putting pressure on the that area, it then stunts the growth. So you then later on in life need to correct it to make give a more natural okay. look. <laughs> Whereas they found that the children that are coming from third world countries who don't get corrected till later in life, mm-hmm. sometimes even adulthood, had a much more natural result because the face had been allowed to grow. I see. So they, um, he had three surgeries planned, one at three months, or it was almost four months, um, one at nine months, and then one at 22 months, so just before he was two. Wow. So they, we all knew all of this in advance. We'd met with the cleft team at Great Ormond Street. We had a fantastic surgeon who was so lovely um, and reassuring. They also have a cleft nurse that helps you with the feeding. So I'd met her before giving birth so she could teach us about how to feed. Um, and to be honest, it's just 
it's different, yeah, but when you have your first baby, you learn to breastfeed, right? So I learned to feed. And mm-hmm. I guess if you don't breastfeed, if you bottle feed, you still have to kind of learn to do it. Yeah. So I just learned to do it. Um, and it wasn't hard at all. It takes a bit of trial and error and a bit of practice, but so does yeah, know, so feeding any yeah, other way. Absolutely. And in terms of moving on to solids then, so if he had a surgery at three months, did, mm-hmm. that, did that, how much did that correct? So what they do, because his cleft is bilateral, they, is the first surgery at three months is just to kind of, to tack the lip down. As I said, that, that middle bit pings forwards. Yeah. So they, they need to pull it back quite a lot so it's in line with the rest of the face, not in line with the tip of the nose or even protruding past it. So they literally kind of tack that and then they do half of the hard palate. So at this point, his lip was closed, although it was a bit of a, it was a funny shape because it wasn't closed fully. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still very wide, um, and half of his hard palate was closed. So um, he kind of looked more normal, I guess, for for want of a better way to describe it. Although he still looked quite funny. Now I look back on pictures and I'm like, that's why people stared at you. <laughs> Bless him. Um, uh, and then when he was at nine months, they did the other half of his palate and the soft palate. That was the biggest surgery. That's quite a brutal surgery um, in terms of recovery. And then the last surgery was when he was 20, 21 months he was because I was eight months pregnant with Mason when he had that surgery. <laughs> no, we timed it because we had to go back to the UK for Mason's birth anyway. So we did it just, just pop in the major surgery while we're back for us to have, have another child. So we just all went back. So we, um, yeah, went back, did Lucas surgery. Then I stayed in the UK, gave birth to Mason. Um, yeah, so they were all planned. And thankfully, they were all successful surgeries. They all did what they were supposed to Amazing. do. So he's now six years old um, and doing really well. Now he's, his road isn't over. He's He'll still got more two more surgeries to go. Okay. For sure. Um, so the next ones are bone grafts. So where the muscles and the lip um, and the palate is all repaired, there's still holes in his gum line. Okay. So um, he'll have braces for about nine months too because it's a hot mess in there with his teeth. Aww. He's got all his teeth um, and they're all on the gums, but the gums all close into funny places. Is he starting to lose them now as well? Because he's, he's just sick. lost his first Has bottom he? teeth. He's very Aww. proud. <laughs> very proud. Um, the teeth fairy coming your Absolutely. <laughs> um, although I dread to think when these cleft teeth come out, I think it might be a bit more... A bit more expensive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So the way they do the bone graft surgery is they time it in terms of the... T- they do the bone grafts at the timing when those teeth are going to grow through the bone graft. So it's all quite carefully timed. So that's the stage we're at now is um, we'll be meeting his cleft surgeon via Zoom. Um, for now, we've had x-rays done here that will all be sent to the to Great Ormond Street and they will try and come up with a plan as to roughly when in his life he okay. will have his bone grafts. It's usually done around eight years old. Okay. Um, but he's, so he's six and a half now. So we'll be planning his braces to start because his... It's unfortunate that when he had his last surgery, his, when the, um, we call it his nubbin, it's not, it's called the pre-maxilla, which is the front central bit. Um, when that came back, it twisted quite a lot, which is just unfortunate. Yeah. They can't, we can't um, dictate how it goes. Um, so he'll need quite a lot of braces um, and they want to fit that ideally at Great Ormond Street and then we can have it looked after here. Mm-hmm. So that's the stage we're at now. Wow. And what was it like? Because um, obviously you, you gave birth and he... He looked as he looked yeah. and then he changed as, yes. as his surgery was going on. Yeah. How was that as a mother? 
It was really strange, actually. Um, it was really weird. And actually, a friend of mine who I've met because she had a, just had a cleft baby, he's now four months old, five months old, and he, she, he's just had his cleft surgery two weeks ago in the same surgeon as us. So I've just been going through all this with her and yeah. reliving it. And it, it's weird because your baby's your baby and you don't want them to change. I think for Luca, because his clefts were so severe, I mean, it's not an option. But there's also something called a microcleft, which is just in the lip, and it's more like a... It's a dip, it's a blip, basically, in their lip. And some of the, pa the, the parents of children with microclefts think, well, why do we need to do it? Is it, do I, you know, Absolutely, maybe this yeah. is just them. Yeah. And they really struggle with a, a why and, you know, should we? And Because from a microcleft, which is a small blip, they actually have to split it all the way from the nose and they end up with a much bigger scar. So That's a really hard decision. That must be really hard. I think most of them do end up doing it. Um, but, yeah, it is really hard because you're your baby's face is going to change um, and everything you know about them. Um, I remember when Luca came round from surgery and we went to the recovery room to get him, he was all swaddled up. Um, and had he not had his eyes opened, I wouldn't have recognised him because he looks so different, you know. You try and visualise it, but you can't, you know, you can't don't imagine, know. Yeah. I think it's also yeah. strange because um, Bertie broke his arm over the summer and had surgery as well. And it's very strange handing your child over to people you don't know yeah. to take care of them and yeah. then they present you back with your child yeah. um, and it's almost a bit weird because like you associate your child with you yeah. um, not with someone else giving you back yeah. I, I can't really Absolutely. explain that very yeah. well but and then for them to look so different yeah as well, so that must have been because like, wow. he was acting very strange because he was coming off um, yeah. the, the general anesthetic and was yeah very strange <laughs> yes <laughs> I'll just leave it at that yes um, so for him to look different as well that yeah. must have been yeah emotional um yeah and... I think we'll but I think by the time we came to it we were prepared for it yeah um although you can't prepare for how they're going to look it's yeah it's very different it's... and what's what's his understanding of of what's going on does he does he appreciate... yeah so we talk about it a lot we've always been very open about it um and he is very proud of his cleft he's very proud of, as I said we call it his nubbin yeah. we, we, it was just his yeah his nubbin um and um at school, they when they have a birthday, they ask them to take in pictures from when they're for each year of their yeah. life. And this was an interesting one because we've never put um, pictures of him with pre-surgery on uh, social media. Yeah. We always thought that's his choice absolutely. when he wants to. If you know, if he that's absolutely fine. We have them in our home, but we never put them on social media um, until after his his surgeries. Um, so going into nursery with um, pictures of him from a baby and kids are so brutally honest. You know, I love that about kids. And mm -hmm. I remember pre-surgery, kids would come up to him and go, what's wrong with his face? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, which I was so used to. And I welcome that for children. Then you can explain it to them and teach them. Well, they say, oh, he's got a booger. <laughs> no, it's not a booger. <laughs> um, it's the adults that would hurt with comments. It, mostly the uneducated ones, you know. They say, oh, did you fall over when you were pregnant? It's like, no. Oh, or wow. what did you do in your past life to deserve this? <gasps> or, yeah, and, you know, then it was like... Well, your self-control must be very high. <laughs> you just have to take a deep breath. I did find myself, when people would see him for the first time, I... I didn't realise at the time, but after a while I realised I'd look away when they first saw him. So I didn't make eye contact yeah. with them until afterwards. I don't know why I did that. And then once I realised I did it, I stopped. Um, because I wasn't ashamed of him at all, but no. it is quite shocking. No. Don't get me wrong. I, I think mean, it's probably a bit of self-preservation because you have to... Yeah. Hold it together. Yeah, you've got to protect yourself and yeah. um, 
it's not just going to affect how you feel about him. No, it's still uh, many, many of those looks perhaps yeah. will start to weigh you down after time. And I think also if people see them and then are shocked, they'll then be embarrassed if I saw it. So I kind of felt that it re- would reduce their embarrassment for a shocked reaction. You're too nice. If <laughs> I looked away. I, I don't know. I've, I've tried to kind of work it out, but yeah. And then I, uh, I stopped doing that because I thought, well, it's fine. Yeah, this is him. Um, so yeah, so when he went into the nursery and took his pictures, I'd, I'd obviously kind of, we chatted about it in advance with him and said, look, you're, when you were a baby, we hadn't had your surgeries yet and you look very different to now. And, you know, kids in your class might ask questions and, you know, are you okay with answering that? Or do you want your teacher to help you? He was like, nope, I'm good. This wow. is my nubbin. <laughs> I have a nubbin doctor and he fixed my nubbin. <laughs> um, I have to say that's yeah. absolute testimony to you and Simon He's, about how you've, yeah. brought him up and yeah. educated him and made it normal yeah. and exactly and I think you just have to give them the confidence because I remember when we were pregnant with him we were like well he's going to get bullied about it and it's you know it's a sadly a, a fact you know kids are you know are not always kind to each other no. but the benefit is at least with him we know what he's going to be bullied about so we can <laughs> you know we can prepare him for that from an early age um and so we, we've always been met very matter of fact with him about it um he's so far, never been bullied. He does go to a very small school mm. um, with small classes and with lovely, lovely, lovely kids. I'm sure as he gets young older. Still, I think it comes later. Um, yeah, I'm sure know. it will come later. I was speaking to Bertie about another child um, in his school and he hadn't actually noticed okay. um, the difference. Yeah. Um, he had not, not registered with him yet. Nope. So, nope. Um, but hopefully it doesn't come. You know, exactly. Hopefully we're yeah. in a world yeah. of more accepting He's, people. And... Yeah. Luke is a very, very confident boy and he... Um, marches to the beat of his own drum. He is not bothered by following the crowd. He's very happy in his own skin and he would rather play by himself than play with others doing things he doesn't, doesn't want, want to do. do. Go Luca. Stubborn as all hell. But... <laughs> Nightmare to parent, but yes. proud as hell of him. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, he's, he's great in that sense. And as I said, he's very confident about his cleft. Um, and he does ask more questions now about his next surgeries. And I know from the cleft Facebook group that when they come to their bone graft, they're that bit older and there is more of a psychological element involved Mm -hmm. and an emotional element. Mm -hmm. When they're younger, you can kind of, you can talk to them about it, but they don't really get it. Is that part of the care team? Will he get a bit of support psychologically? Exactly. So the way it works, the cleft team is it's multidisciplinary in in the UK. So you obviously have your surgeon, which is a plastic surgeon, and then you have a maxillofacial surgeon Mm -hmm. for the bone graft, Um, the plastic surgeon taking care of the cosmetic side. Then you have audiology because um, cleft children, because if it's all ENT, the anatomy is different. Yeah. And so it's very common for them to have glue ear. So Luca was essentially deaf when he was born and he, because of his tubes um, were really blocked. So we decided to do hearing aids instead of um, grommets. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had hearing aids from nine months to two years. And by, and by two years, his ears had cleared. Then they went up and down a bit for the next couple of years. And by the time he was, I think, four, he didn't need his hearing aids anymore. So he did really, really well. Um, Then there's speech and language. um, So um, obviously their anatomy is very different. So they often need or they usually need speech therapy. And then when you add in the element of the hearing loss, that also um, uh, plays into speech. So for Luca, he's had lots of speech therapy. Um, He didn't start talking until he was two and a half. So from about 
seven, eight months old, I started doing sign language with him. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaya was a little bit speech delayed and she got quite frustrated. So I kind of preempted and thought, let's do sign language. So he communicated entirely through sign until he was two and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, sign's amazing, it's an amazing communication, but it's only great if you know it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also being so young, the dexterity isn't there to sign properly. So we didn't follow the official sign language. Yeah, you could make up your own kind exactly. of whatever works for you. Um, so we watched a lot of Mr. Tumble, which is yeah. fantastic. I love Mr. Tumble. Mr. Tumble's Mr. amazing. Mr. Tumble's a legend. Yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of did the useful things like um, sleep, um, more, no more, drink, hungry. We do the very basic Change to our children at please and thank you. Yeah. And exactly. <laughs> just to try and teach them manners yes. from an early age. Yeah. It only took till about six and a half years till he actually got it. Yes. But. <laughs> Um, we didn't bother doing like cow, cat, yeah, you know, the objects because no, yeah. it wasn't, we, we needed it more. It was more of a practical thing to get through day to day. Um, and because we had two kids, Kaya was a year and a half older, so she learned as well. Yeah. And what was amazing is she could then translate for Luca. Because yeah. sign language, as I said, is only useful if you understand mm. it. And most people don't. Even our family, they often would say, Luca's saying something, but I don't know what he's saying. So Kaya would translate for him. Um, and so we got through that way and he did so well. I could just talk to you all day, but I've, I just want to ask one more question about it. Um, at nine months, if he had his hearing aids, mm-hmm. what was it like when they were first fitted and he first so, essentially heard for the first time? Absolutely. So he could hear before, but very, very muffled. He couldn't hear clear sounds. So to start with, obviously, it was quite alien for him. Mm-hmm. So he used to take them out. Um, but then once he got used to them, he used to ask for them. Um, even at such a young age, so by about 10 months old, he was used to them. And obviously he didn't sleep with them in. So, you know, in the morning we'd put them in. And if I hadn't, he'd often bang his ears. Um, and that means he wanted his hearing aids in. Or at the same time, in loud scenarios, he'd take them out. And that was often a really good guide for me because with glue ear, it can fluctuate. Mm-hmm. So he kind of, if you looked carefully at his cues, I knew when his hearing was getting better and worse. So if he was always taking them out, it usually meant we need to go to the audiologist and have his hearing aids turned down because they were too loud for him. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, kids are so clever. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> just so, so clever. Um, and he wore them at nursery um, and he did just fine. And again, at nursery, kids don't notice. Yeah. Um, and with other kids, we just said, well, kids wear, people wear glasses because their eyes don't work so well. Yeah. And for him, he wears hearing aids because his ears don't work so well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. As I say, I could literally talk to you all day. <laughs> it's been a long it's road. It's so fascinating. It's been a, it's been a long journey, a long road for Your family is incredible. Um, um, you need to yeah. give yourselves lots of credit. For oh, it. thank you. It's just become normal, though. I mean, yeah. you know, when you're thrown into it, you just carry on, don't you? Um, yes, but I don't know, maybe when you talk about it and reflect <laughs> on what you've overcome yeah. and achieved, um, yeah. you have to give yourself some credit. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a long road. Um, so at the end of the podcast, I yeah. ask my guests the same question, starting with um, if you could have coffee with any or wine, um, as I corrected <laughs> last week with my guest, uh, Louise, you know who you are, yeah. <laughs> uh, with anyone, um, any other female, mm-hmm. um, who would you choose? Well, I was thinking about this and I found it really hard because I don't sort of, I don't sort of follow people in that way or idolise people or, so actually I in all honesty, it would be my mum and my sisters. Yes, yeah, no, it doesn't so, have to be anyone famous. We so rarely find the time to yeah. all get together that actually it's really special when we do. So I would definitely choose coffee or wine with my yeah. mom, with my mum and my sisters. <laughs> nice <gym> to eat. <laughs> yes. Just to actually have some undisturbed time together. Absolutely. I completely get yeah. that. And um, what... Since you've become a mum, um, would you say is your biggest um, like life hack or mum hack, if you like? 
So I've got two, I think. Number one is baskets. If you have a load of baskets, you don't have to tidy up. Nice. You don't have to yes. be a neat person. You can just launch things towards the various baskets. This question is over, like, completely <laughs> selfish because everyone I ask, I'm just trying to write yes, down their answers. Down. <laughs> <laughs> but then at the same time, I think it's very much to simplify things and have less stuff because then life becomes easier, right? Um, so yeah, definitely baskets. I'm a big fan <laughs> of baskets. <laughs> they're not neat baskets, but they're there. Yeah. It's organized chaos. Um, and yeah, keep it really simple. Absolutely. I, yeah. I get you. And um, I completely forgot my last question, which is, I had it and it's gone. I've it? forgotten it too. It's on my phone. No, hold on. It's going to come. Oh my God. Ah. My last question yes. is, uh, what have you found yourself saying to your children that your mum used to say to you? Oh God, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many. At the moment, at the age that my, and stage my kids are at, I would say it's two wrongs, don't make a right. <laughs> <laughs> I say that one a lot. Um, yeah, sadly. <laughs> because them. it's usually someone's hit someone and they've hit them back. Yeah. <laughs> something like oh, that. Gosh. Yeah, so two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> It. And um, how can people, or well, tell us about the store, how can we find the store? Yeah, so um, Eggs and Soldiers, and um, we're in Times Square um, on the ground floor. Um, come on in and have a look around. I, I personally prefer to shop in person, um, but we also have an online um, a website, so www.eggsandsoldiers.com. You don't ship internationally yet? Do you? We do, uh, mostly GCC. Okay. Um, we do sometimes get orders for other parts of the world. but um, Anyone else can come and just look and... Uh, absolutely and last absolutely last and also after them. <laughs> yeah if anyone has any questions obviously about termination or clefts or any of that by all means feel free to get in touch i am um, i'm thank very you. much an open book in that sense thank you so much very happy to go into as many details as people want but... you're incredible oh, thank, thank, you. You. thank you thank you so much for speaking you're very to welcome it's so interesting and, um, thank you for being so open my pleasure and have a super rest of day thank you and you thank you bye <laughs> What an amazing woman Sophie is. She's achieved so much and is still so young, or perhaps I'm just so old. When I asked Sophie to come on the podcast, I didn't know about her first son, and I'm so appreciative to her for sharing her experience with me. I learnt so much about Cleft and the brave Lucas's nubbins, and don't you think what a credit he is to Sophie and Simon that he's so proud of it. I think we can all take a page from Sophie's book that less is more when it comes to having kids something I'm constantly trying to reassess to keep the house clutter-free and waste to a minimum. Please don't forget to press subscribe and rate the show if you've been enjoying listening so far. Have a super week, guys, and I'll be back next Thursday.